Well, I'm so excited that you're here to join me for Voice of Breakthrough, this podcast. Podcast. So we are going to hit some powerful topics. Every single week, we will be having a new podcast with a new topic. So get ready. I'm telling you, this is great to exercise to. This is powerful to uh, listen to when you're cleaning your house or cooking that dinner or cutting the grass, which you could turn up loud on your, you know, your, your little iPhone or whatever you have there. Anyway, you're going to love this powerful, life-changing, every single week podcast of Voice of Breakthrough. Father, we just come before you. And Lord, I thank you. Father, I thank you that you are the judge and you are righteous judge, but I thank you that you're our father. And I thank you that you had a plan to send your son, who is one with you, to come and to completely pay the price in full for every person here to be healed, to prosper, to be completely free from the works of the enemy. So Jesus, we thank you that you're such an advocate for us. We thank you that you paid the price for us. We thank you, Father, that you are such a righteous judge. And we thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're the teacher, the sanctifier. You guide us and lead us into all truth. And you make us victorious over Satan and all of his plans. And we just give you praise for all of that. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. You know, um, so we've been doing the teaching on Job all month. And so we started out at the very beginning. We're going to go over a little bit of this at the beginning for those who missed it. So let's just start with Job's name means hated and persecuted. Be glad your mother didn't name you Job. He, could have, he probably should have figured out it was going to be a rough life, you know. <laughs> hey, hated and persecuted. <laughs> and in Job 1, God talks about Job, and he says that he's perfect. And the word per let me just go there, Job 1, and I'm just going to review this just a little bit to catch everybody up, because we really did in-depth teaching on, on uh, everything about Job up until the part where we're going to hit what the Father has to say and about the blood of Christ. We talked about this before. So there was a man in the land of Oz. <laughs> His name was Job. And this man was perfect and upright and fearing God and turning away from evil. And so the word perfect means one who has reverent fear of God and wants to be complete in God and wants to be holy before God. So whenever you see the word perfect, and you'll see it even in New Testament, be perfect. It means someone who is actively yielding to the Holy Spirit's sanctification to be holy. A desire to be holy and have a reverent fear of God. And so righteous, to be upright or righteous is to be in right standing with God. And this is amazing because Job was able to be in right standing with God because for his time and his season before Christ, to be in right standing with God, Job was a man who wanted to know God. So through all history, God has had people who are righteous, people who are in right standing with him. Now, in the new covenant, how many know we're in the new covenant? Amen, we are in a new covenant. So that's why you have to recognize there's a difference in the agreement that I have with God and the agreement that Job had with God. But here's the thing about when we study Old Testament, it's the same God. 
Amen? So we can understand more about God if we will go yield it to Holy Spirit and understand Old Testament. Amen? But do not ever confuse the covenant that Jesus paid for with his own blood because the old covenant or the old way of working with man could not take away sin. It could not bring healing. It could not bring deliverance. Amen? They, everything about the Old Testament, every book of the Old Testament shows a need for Jesus. So when you read Job, you need to recognize this is an Old Testament teaching. This is before Christ came, you know, as Jesus. And this is, let me read this, seeing how Job needed Jesus. And then I can understand in my life and be thankful that I have Jesus, amen? I can understand in my life that I have Jesus. So when people go back to the Old Testament and to Job to try to understand what they're going through, it's, it's basically, I won't say irrelevant, but all Job can show you is what you would have to go through if you didn't have Jesus. How hopeless you would feel. How, mis, uh, how much you would misunderstand God. Job never acknowledges that, there is, that Satan is real. As believers who read New New Testament and hear Jesus talk, right? He's explained to us that there's an adversary, there's an enemy. It's never ever even close in New Testament teaching to confuse the works of the devil with God, ever. It's an automatic, you don't confuse the two, amen? So you look at Job who's confusing the two well, actually, he doesn't even believe in Satan, right? And, and if you really study it, we're going to look at some of it tonight and go back and say more. He really goes down really low into a place of bitterness to such a place that God has to come and rebuke him, okay? And how much more does the Holy Spirit rebuke us? How much more should we be open to rebuke? if we confuse the works of the devil with God. Amen? So, but, but it's cool to say that God himself recognized that Job was seeking holiness, was in right standing with God for his day and season, had a fear of the Lord, of God, and he stayed away from evil. And we talked about this before. Most People in the church today don't even do those four things. So that's a place you can look at Job and say, okay, this part, this God is the same God, and the same God who looked for this in Job, how much more does he look for that in us? I'll tell you my Eminem story. This is my new story. Only Donna and Karen have heard my Eminem story. Because somebody was telling me how they were convicted of, from a temptation. And I'm like, good. Then don't get yourself in that situation with the temptation again. I said, let me tell you how real it gets when you really have the fear of the Lord and you really desire to be righteous and, and stay in right standing with God. And your heart is to be made holy and walk after God. And you truly want to turn away from evil. So we're flying to L.A., flying back from L.A. Um, and... In the airport, 
for my five-hour flight, I bought two, because it was buy one, get one free, bags, little bags, because it's the airport. No, actually, I bought them at Walgreens before the airport, because I knew it would be cheaper. Anyway, of chocolate-covered M&Ms, or peanut M&Ms, that's what it is, peanut M&Ms, okay? So I think, okay, well, this will take care of the chocolate part and the nut part, and it'll get me home okay. So we get on the plane, and the stewardess does the announcement. She says, we will not be giving out peanuts because we have somebody with severe peanut allergy on the plane. And then she says, so we're asking you if you brought any peanut products to please refrain from eating them on the plane. I'm like having a flesh moment of rebellion, thinking it's a whole big plane. This is a big plane. Where's this person sitting? Are they anywhere near me? But my first thing is, okay, I'll submit. Well, I submitted for about three hours. And then I was hungry, and the M&Ms were tempting me. So I thought, well, it can't really hurt if I stick my head inside of the bag from the drugstore that the M&Ms are in that's inside my other bag, and then if I put my head in the bag that's in the bag and open the M&Ms just a little bit and take one M&M and put it right from the bag into my mouth so it never hits the atmosphere, <laughs> how could it hurt anybody? So I did this three times. Nobody died. I was like, that's good. Well, then the plane started being a little bit turbulent. And I'm like, and this is funny, because on the way to LA, we hit a, it was 49 mile winds for the last half hour going in. They actually took us in through a storm. They were having the worst, they called the worst storm ever in California. Those people don't know what a storm looks like. I mean, <laughs> it was an even hard rain compared to what we're used to. But anyway, the worst storm in California. But 49 mile, he goes, okay, it's gonna be really turbulent. They, you know, you have to put everything up and everybody's gotta sit down. The stewardess won't wait on you, can't go to the bathroom, the whole nine yards. And you gotta buckle in and all this. And I'm like, Lord, you always, always stop turbulence for me. I just believe you for that. This is the way there. So, so God stopped the turbulence completely to where when the plane landed, everybody's clapping and like, wow, we didn't even feel anything. And they're all thinking the pilot. And the pilot has a look on his face like, how did that happen? But, and I'm thinking, thank you, Lord, because I release angels and I see all this stuff. I'm like, thank you, God. And I know I won't die in the turbulence because um, he told me I was going to LA. And, um, but I just don't like it. So it's kind of this thing with me and God, and anybody who's traveled with me international knows every time they start to have turbulence, we all get that, we're not gonna have turbulence prayer. So, so here we're coming back now, and this is just a little pocket of turbulence, but right away, I lost that knowing that I know that God's gonna do this for me. And like I knew I wasn't gonna die because I ate an M&M in the plane. Um, but the fear of the Lord is, was that giving into my flesh worth having this little bit of disconnect between me and God? And the answer is no. And so I said, Lord, I know that you're not gonna, you didn't tell me not to eat the M&M, the stewardess did. I said, but, because if you told me, I wouldn't have eaten it. I said, but I disobeyed authority and I, 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 I know it was wrong. So Lord, please forgive me and I won't eat any more of the M&Ms on the plane and it would be really cool if you'd stop the turbulence, which he did. But as we kept flying, I said, you know what, God, it's not worth it. I'm getting ready to travel internationally on long flights. 
And I'm gonna use this as a reminder to have that reverent fear of you. And, and, I, so I, and I say this to say, that's the kind of relationship that God's looking for with people who've walked with him for a long time. It's, it's the kind of relationship that just doesn't decide to do what you think is okay and right. It's a relationship that goes above that. It's a relationship that goes above that. It's a relationship that's like, you know what? Maybe a lot of people don't still go to church or maybe a lot of people don't do this or that and that's fine because you're not under legalism. But what is it in my heart? Is it flesh? What is it that God would actually want me to do? Amen? And see, the difference between the Job's friend, which we talked about during this, and, and, and the Pharisee spirit, is we take something in scripture and we make a law about it. And then if we break that law, everything's over and it's terrible. This isn't about the laws. This is about a heart that says, God, it's just not worth it to do what my flesh wants to do. When my heart knows there's something more that you have for me to do. I want to be in your will. Amen. I want to be in your will. Not just in the big thundering kind of things, but in the day-to-day -day things. Lord, what is it? And I'm not talking legalism puts you into bondage. If I do this, God will be mad. He wasn't mad that I ate the M&M. Thank God somebody would have dropped it on the plane and everybody would say, who ate an M&M? And I'd be oh my God, I murdered somebody. Lord, would you give me grace to raise him from the dead and apologize? So, do you see what I'm saying though? Okay, so God's still looking for these things. So when you read Job or anything in the Old Testament, see God, but see it through the blood of Christ. See it through forgiveness. See it through the Holy Spirit leading you, okay? That's the difference. We have the blood of Christ, amen? We have a savior. We have a savior. We have a deliverer. We have the spirit of truth living in us. We have a comforter. We have God himself in us to guide us and lead us. We have so much more than Job ever had. Amen? So much more. And so, but we still have a God who looks for us to want to be holy, upright, or righteous, that fear God, and we turn away from evil. And it goes on, he talks, it talks here about he has the seven sons and the three daughters that are born to him, and he had all these possessions, and there was none greater, none richer, <coughs> And it said, and his sons feasted in the house of each one on his day, and they sent and called their three sisters to eat and drink with them. In other words, every day these brothers and sisters had a party at each other's house. It's at my house today. It's your house tomorrow. So Job could have possibly had some codependency issues. Because you see Job, Job knew something was wrong with this. It says it happened when the day of feast had gone, Job 1.5. Job would send and sanctify them. He would rise up early in the morning, offer sacrifices according to all his children's number. For Job said, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. This Job, Job always said. So you have Job who's not really talking to his kids and communicating with his kids and trying to get his kids to understand God. You have Job trying to cover up and make sure his kids aren't going to be cursed. 
And that's another whole teaching on codependency, okay? So, and, and, and are any of us pretending that Job wasn't a flawed person? Is there anybody here who thinks Job didn't need a savior? Amen, so I'm not judging Job's children to them, you know, that, but, but I'm showing you to get rid of the lie that's taught that Job was this perfect guy, so therefore, if the devil could do something to this perfect guy, Job, we don't stand a chance. Amen? There were areas in Job's life that he himself admits there's areas of fear. When his children died, he said, I feared this would happen. There were areas of, of self-righteousness. There was a lot of areas in Job's life that could open the door for the enemy to attack him. Right? And so, we just got to understand that. Okay, so... Now we're looking at Job 1.6, so we're just reviewing really quick. And this is in really big detail on the teaching that goes into a lot of detail. Jehovah said to Satan, from where have you come? It says, the day came when the sons of God or the angels of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan was among them. And Jehovah said to Satan, from where have you come? And Satan answered Jehovah, answered Jehovah and said, I went to and fro in the whole earth, walking up and down in it. And Jehovah said to Satan, have you set your heart on my servant Job? Because there is none like him in the earth. He's perfect, upright, fearing me, and turning away from evil. Same four things, okay? All right, this is a kind of cool thought. Does God boast about you? There are times when God says thank you. And I'm like, why would you tell me thank you? I'm just doing what you're telling me to do. He goes, yeah, but not everybody does what I tell them to do. Most people don't, so thank you. And I'm like, Lord, don't thank me. I gotta thank you. You're the one in charge. See, we have a real God, just like Job did, and for whatever reason, in that time, God had favor with Job, and God spoke with Job. How cool is that? We have a father who wants to talk with us. We have a father who wants to brag on us. Anybody here who has children, it's amazing how you brag on them for stuff that nobody could care about. And I've learned with my sister, same thing when you have grandchildren. But no matter who, no matter who, there's something. And, or somebody's really wounded if they never do. There's something godlike in boasting about your children and finding that good thing and finding that thing that is pleasing. Amen? And so here we have God doing that. All right. So, so Satan then says, now we all know that God cannot be provoked, right? So when we're watching this conversation, we're watching the enemy come before God and say these things. And he had to have some level, I believe, of a spiritual law of truth to be able to do what he's doing because God is, is a righteous God. So when Satan says, um, I think that Job has no, I, I think he, no wonder he fears you. No wonder he reverences you. He's never been tested. He's never been tested. You don't really know what he would do if you quit protecting him. You don't know what he would do. 
And he says to him, you've made a hedge for him, his house and all that's around him. You've blessed everything he puts his hands to and you just keep increasing him. So how many can see Job having this relationship with God brought a lot of favor to Job? Amen? How many know we are to be favored by God? If we know Jesus Christ is Lord, we are to be a people with favor. We are to be a people who should recognize that if there's a job and somebody gets it and I'm at least qualified, it's mine. If there's a raise, then I'm at least qualified, it's mine. You need to be qualified. But if you're qualified and it's between you and somebody who doesn't know God, you ought to get it. Amen? You should be favored. You're, you should have wisdom on where to invest your money. You should have wisdom. We are the most favored and blessed people ever if we would really uh, sell out and live for God, which we're going to look at, you know, at the end of tonight's session. How do we get into this new covenant blessing and live there? Amen? And I'm promising you, it's not by hanging out in Job and trying to see life through the eyes of Job when he's being attacked where so many people hang out. I don't even understand. Thank God I didn't hang out there. All right. So, Job says to him, um, if you would put out your hand and touch against all that is his, he will curse you to your face. Now, I want you to catch this. Jehovah says to Satan, behold, all that is in your hand, you can do, but do not lay your hand on him. And Satan left God did not put his hand out towards Job. And there's a whole teaching on this. It's on, the, it's on the whole series if you want to get the series. There's a mighty hand of God in scripture. And when God puts his mighty hand on one of his favored, one of that believes in him, it brings you great divine protection. It brings you great favor. It brings you power and authority. But when God takes his mighty hand and he places it on his enemies and he places on those who are persecuting or don't know him, it actually brings uh, that person to their knees. It, it's a really, when God gives you scriptures to pray that the mighty hand of God would be placed on someone, whoa, it's a really powerful prayer of God going in to bring this person to repentance. Amen? So God is like, I'm not putting my hand on him. Now, this is key too. He says to Satan, do what your hand allows you to do. In other words, you know how it works. I'll take down the hedge of protection, which by the way, believers don't have. There's no hedge of protection in the New Testament. In New Testament, what is it? Hidden in Christ. Okay? New covenant, I have to be hidden in Christ. We have teaching on that, but hidden in, are you hidden in Christ? See, when I come out of being hidden in Christ and my flesh is jumping around, there's, there's the enemy who goes around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, right? Who's looking for me to get outside of God's will. Now, you can't do this up here. That's legalism. It brings fear and death and it doesn't work. It has to be relationship. It has to be the sensitivity to a relationship that when God says, you need to not eat that other next M&M. You know, or you, need, don't, you know not to do that. You know to turn that television channel off. You know not to do that. You know not to give in to that. You know not to keep justifying that, right? Look at, look at our hedge of protection. We have the Holy Spirit inside of us. 
Christ in us, the hope of glory, amen? And then we abide in Christ. And when you look at John, uh, the, the, read the Gospel of John if you want to just a right awesome time of understanding who you are in Christ. So my head of protection is now not something that's outside of me. My head of protection in my new covenant with God is Christ in me and then me in Christ. Being hidden in Christ. You need to see this. If I'm hidden in him, the enemy can't even find me. Okay, new covenant. Now I know God will use the symbolism of the old covenant. He showed me, and this is in my teaching on um, the spiritual side to tragedy, which I encourage everybody to go and watch. It's on the web. Where the Lord showed me with one of my prayers, first of all, I prayed to God that he would either put me in ministry or take me home. And my daughter was... Uh, with the Lord face to face within a week of that prayer. And the Lord showed me the hedge of protection came down. Well, I believe there was a hedge of protection because I was too immature to even have a clue of what being in hidden Christ looked like. I believe very few Christians, at least in our culture, are hidden in Christ. I believe we're kind of just hanging out with Christ a little bit, going to church a little bit, kind of coming to him, but I don't think we're hidden in him. Amen? So the key would be God. It says here that I'm supposed to be hidden in you. You can find it in every single gospel, especially book of John is awesome, and say, Lord, if I'm not hidden in you, can, can we go into that relationship? And if you study that, which hopefully we'll get time to, in John 15, 16, and 17, it talks about being his friend. It talks about being his beloved. It talks about being his child. I mean, there's all these different places in God in relationship with him that reveals your, where you're at and you're hidden in him. And truthfully, in a lot of church life, we go to church, we go to altar call, we find Jesus. Some go as far as to ask to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. They might speak in tongues. And they live an okay life that for the most part, they could live without being hidden in Christ. And then, when the enemy attacks, right? Then all of a sudden, like, what happened? Well, don't go read Job then. Go read the Gospels. Lord, how do I, how do I get hidden in you? What do I do? How do I do this? And here's the cool thing. He is so faithful that if you ask, seek, and knock, he's gonna direct you, he's gonna show you. He's not upset with you, he's not angry at you because you might have been a prodigal and didn't even know it. He's not angry at you because you stayed an infant way past when you should have been an infant. God's not angry with you because he wants to protect you. He wants to get the glory. Jesus paid to undo the works of the enemy. God wants them undone, amen? He wants them all undone. He doesn't want anybody who calls on his name to ever lose a battle to the enemy. Doesn't mean we don't, but it's not his desire, amen? It's never his will that the enemy beat us, amen? amen. That would just make God kind of perverted. And he really isn't. Praise God for that. Now Job started sounding like maybe he thought he was and got rebuked by God. Amen? I don't have to try to pretend that I can't understand the simple things about God that are clear. Amen? Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. In him there's no shadow of turning. 
He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is a healer. He never once does not heal when he walked on the earth to reveal himself. Never once did he not heal. Never once. I mean, if you look at the statistics in the body of Christ of the people who don't get healed, you would think Jesus should have only healed maybe one out of 10 times. Maybe one out of a thousand times. Not every single time. Amen? He, he reveals himself. He reveals who he is. So, so we've got to recognize this. But boy, the minute somebody doesn't get healed, they run back to Job. And I'm like, go read it. Read what, what Job says. Read the rebuke against Job. <laughs> How can you even go to Job and say what you're saying if you actually would study the whole book of Job? It's not really clear what they're saying. So anyway, so it goes on. And so... Um, we all know, so the attacks come, and first Job, you know, loses his, his wealth, and, and he loses, um, you know, his, some of his servants, and he still does not speak against God. He still stays faithful, and he doesn't sin against God, and it's what he says. Then the enemy attacks his children. Um, I'm not going to be a Job's friend and judge Job. But personally, I would think losing your children would be more difficult than being attacked in your physical body. But for whatever reason, for Job, it was when the physical attack came that he got more cynical towards God. Could it be that Job knew that his children were sinning? Could it be that Job knew that all those years it was just, mercy that his kids are living their kind of lifestyle and being divinely protected could there have been in job when it came to his children dying a more understanding that i kind of thought this was going to happen he actually says somewhere the thing i feared most has come upon me and wouldn't you think job was already having those thoughts with him doing the sacrifices and pleading with god and the things he was doing to try to cover his children's sin right but when Job gets hit, now we see Satan comes back again and, and God is bragging on Job. Let's see where that is. I'm trying to find the second time where it's at. 2-1, thank you. All this is on the teaching when I did these one by one. But Okay, and it happened that day came when the sons of God came again to present themselves before Jehovah and Satan also came among them to present himself before Jehovah. And Jehovah said to Satan, from where have you been? And Satan says, um, to Jehovah, I went to and forth the whole earth, walking up and down in it. Um, and Jehovah says to Satan, have you set your heart on my servant Job? There is none like him in the whole earth, a perfect upright man, fearing me and turning away from evil. And he is still holding to his integrity, although you incited me against him to swallow him up for nothing. So here we have God talking with Job. Now, he said, basically Job let me get this out there. Job had done nothing. Okay, Job had done nothing specific to release God's anger on Job. Okay? And God was not judging Job. This was a situation where Satan, I believe, had some legal rights because you're going to see when you get into Job, it's set up almost like a court situation. And Job... And, and Satan's like, if you would take down that hedge of protection that not everybody has, 
then there are things in Job's life that I can attack him for. And then you're going to find out he's not as uh, faithful to you as you think. So here's God saying, okay, we did all this, and you attacked, and he still held on to his integrity, and he did not curse me to my face. Okay? And then Satan says, skin for skin, yes, all that a man has he will give for his life. But indeed, put out your hand now and touch his bone and his flesh and he will curse you to your face. Jehovah says to Satan, he's in your hand, but do not take his life. Okay, once again, what is, what is Satan trying to do? You touch him. You go after him, God. You do something to him. And God's like, no, I'm not judging him. He's done nothing as far as I'm concerned, from where he walks with me, there's nothing going on in Job's life that I'm going to judge him. I'm not releasing evil on But if you have a way to get in, go for it, but you cannot kill him. How many know that if God didn't tell the enemy some boundaries that he cannot do, we'd all be dead? He would get you dead the minute you found God so that evangelism couldn't happen, okay? So I'm not pretending to say that God doesn't have this gigantic spiritual kingdom, amen? And in this kingdom, he's Lord, amen? And, and he's Lord everywhere. But I believe that he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, right? Standing in, in God and his kingdom, and he'll take care of everything, right? So there is this entire kingdom understanding that, Job could not walk in, you guys. We can walk in it only because Holy Spirit comes into us and brings the kingdom into us. Amen? The kingdom of God comes in when the king of kings is revealed through the Holy Spirit. So the sanctifier, the teacher, the comforter, the, the advocate, everything we need comes into us when we accept Jesus Christ as Lord. And we ask that all of our sin be taken to the cross. Amen. We really repent of our sin. We, we really hate sin. We want, to come, we want to become this new creation in Christ Jesus. Job was not a new creation in Christ Jesus. He had no in Christ Jesus. You should read Job and go, thank God that I'm born in a time in Christ Jesus. Thank God that there's a kingdom and there's a Holy Spirit in me to teach me and lead me into all truth. Thank God I'm not like Job wondering why did this happen. People use Job to say you can't understand God and then God sends his Holy Spirit to teach us his ways and give us the very mind of Christ. How can I not understand God if his spirit lives in me and his mind he's placed in me? But I can only understand him to the place that I choose to ask, seek, and knock. I can only understand him to the place that I choose to yield and be his son or his daughter led by his spirit and obey him and his word. It's up to me to how much I want to completely sell out to him. And the more I sell out, the more I'm hidden in him. And the more I'm in him, the more he makes a way of escape. The more my entire way of looking at everything changes. Amen? I mean, Job, you can read Job, you can understand he didn't even know what happened to you as far as heaven and hell after you died. When he, when he talks in chapter 3 about the Leviathan spirit and that Terry went over about wishing he was never born. Well, anybody, and, and that he wished he would just die. And why wouldn't God? And he makes it look like then he'd have peace. 
Well, you don't have peace if you die without Christ. So you're looking at a man who's rambling on, to be honest, and doesn't have the understanding that a new covenant believer in Jesus Christ can have. So to go back there to try to find answers should only lead you to the answer, which is we need Jesus. Amen? We need Jesus. We need to understand him and his word. I mean, I'd almost do a protest walkout when somebody tries to teach Job in a different way. It's like, what are you doing? The Lord was telling me, he said, Job is so excited that you are preaching this, led by my spirit, because he never ever wanted his testimony to go down to let the devil beat people up and then blame God. So, here we go. So now we see Satan. So he's in your hand, preserve his life. And Satan went out from before the face of the Lord and he struck Job with bad burning ulcers from his foot to his head. And so we have, now we start to see, as we said, like I said, we're just reviewing now. I gotta get into the next part of the teaching. Job was so in pain that he took pottery and just scraped the scars, scraped the scabs and just kept bleeding. He was in terrible shape. We talked about this. Now we're gonna see Job's friends. Now I have to tell you, I'm so thankful that God had me do this teaching because I didn't realize until I did this teaching that I was a Job friend. And, and so the best thing about, uh, one, of the be- one of the best things about reading and studying the word is Holy Spirit has an intention every time you read it of changing you. Amen? He's gonna change you from glory to glory. Every time. If that's not happening in your life, I'm telling you, you're delusional you're not dealing with issues, and you're really opening yourself up for religious spirit, to be quite honest. God is a God who is in the work of sanctifying us and making us holy. He is about holiness. He is so about holiness. It doesn't matter what culture you're in. It doesn't matter what state you're in. Our God is a holy God, and he sent his Holy Spirit inside of us to sanctify us, which does not mean to be set apart. It means he gets everything out that needs to be gotten out that he didn't intend to ever be in there. He delivers us from evil. The reason, if you look at Jesus, he was able to escape being murdered over and over and over in his life. He was never sick. And he gives one really good, powerful statement about that when he says, Satan has nothing in me. Satan has nothing in me. That's the key. That is the goal of sanctification. That is the goal of sanctification. Cancer cannot get you if Satan has nothing in you. Sickness can't get you. Truthfully, even the flu can't get you. The only thing that is allowed in New Covenant that can get you is persecution for righteousness sake. And that can even get your head cut off. Because with that, God is in charge and it's powerful in the spirit realm to advance the kingdom of God. And God's got it covered for all the martyrs who truly die because of their testimony for Christ. And in the last days in Revelations, it talks about a lot of them coming in right before Christ's return. What happens to them? They die, most of them are beheaded. 
We, we haven't even seen this kind of barbaric stuff until ISIS on a regular, normal, daily, day-in, day-out thing, even in America. It's in the Bible. Isn't that something that God wrote about something so savage so many years ago, and here we're in the end times, which the Revelations, book of Revelations about the end times, and it's right there. But you've got to realize, God says this is going to happen, and he says, here's what he does. They die, and they're instantly at the very altar of God until the rest of us come in. Wait a minute, guys. We're talking some horrible pain. We're talking whatever the enemy's up to, and where they're walking with God will determine to some degree how all that comes down, right? You know, because Stephen was stoned and had a great time, saw God, forgave everybody, and didn't look like a bad time. But I'm not saying that happens for everybody. Depends on where they're at. That's between them and God, right? But I do know this. The second they're out of here and everybody else is worried about them, they are slit, they're like going into, first, you know, home run, right there at the altar of God, where, remember, the elders who've been there and they ain't been there for ages upon ages still fall down at the presence and power and holiness of God. And these guys are coming in fresh, you know, <laughs> off the planet Earth. <laughs> Don't even, how many, how many has ever been in a really awesome presence of God? Like a presence of God so good, you, you, you almost couldn't stand it anymore. I've actually told God, I, I can't take it. Can you imagine coming from this whew, to fear and intimidation and all the nasty stuff the devil's doing into the altar of God and to stay there? It's like, hey, don't even worry about your mansion. Just hang out here with me for a while till all your brethren come in. How many know God's got this thing? God's got this thing. So back here, Job, we gotta catch up. We really got a lot to go. All right, so then we have Job. And now he is getting a little bit whiny. And his wife says to him, why are you holding on to your integrity? Curse God and die. And we talked about this. It's on the teaching. You can get that. Basically, it was her children too, her riches too. Anybody here who has a husband who's ever been sick and kind of whiny, don't judge Job's wife. Right? You do want to say, what is wrong with you? Just get over this. Let's get healed. How many know when somebody's really sick and going through something, even as believers, sometimes we have the least amount of patience and we become Job's friends so fast. If they would just do this, if they would just do this, if they would just do this, if they would just handle it like this, if they would just handle it like this. All right, we, we already... When you get the teaching, if you, the CDs from the whole month are $25 a night, plus we'll add this on if anybody wants to get that before the night's over. But here's the bottom line, because we talked about this, we don't have time to redo all this. But here's the bottom line. How many of us know that we have Job friends in us? How many know that that is the biggest problem with the way the faith message is taught? What's a Job friend? It's here, not here. And when we studied this, we saw this before, a whole teach on Job's friends. Job's friends really cared about him. They were really upset when they saw what happened. But by the time they sat with him for seven days and seven nights and nobody said anything, all of a sudden, they kick into, there's got to be a way out of this. He must have done something wrong. Okay? And I'm not going to get, get the teaching. We did two, two or three entire sessions on Job's friends and how not to be one of them. And we looked at the book of, um, I think, John 10, where Jesus talks about the wolf. 
because I had a dream, and so God took me to John 10 and showed me that the Pharisee spirit, which is a Job's friend spirit, opens the door for the wolf, the devourer, the predator, to get in and destroy things in your life. So you want to get that teaching because it's really big about this. And I did not realize how much I still had that in me. And I'm like, oh my gosh, God. And part of that is reasoning, trying to figure out why is this happening to them and why is that happening to them and this could happen to them. I had this really bad because there's no excuse for why I had it really bad. I had it really bad because I'm a sinner and I took it in and I handled it that way and I repented, amen? When God took my sorrow and my grief and when God healed me and when God healed my son and when God walked me through these things and when I got closer to God, uh, my relationship with him became closer. But my attitude that was already in my heart of feelings of self-righteousness and feeling superior to others and thinking, look what I got through, kicked in to where instead of finding compassion because of what I went through, you found judgment. And that's what began to happen with Job's friend. They started off with compassion. They started off wanting to help. But after sitting there and watching him and, and letting it go through their brain, everything they knew about God and everything they knew about spiritual law and everything they knew about Job, they began to judge why these things were happening to Job. And if you read their statements, and we have teaching on that, what they said was true. See, that's what gets it. People teach that as if this wasn't true. No, those, they didn't just make that up. That's the same reason that the, the guys asked Jesus, was this boy that's blind, was it because of his parents' sin or his sin? It was just a known thing that sin opens the door to, um, to sickness. I mean, it wasn't even a debatable issue back then, like the church likes to debate today. So it wasn't about, you know, and it was a little, Jesus says to them, it's not, basically says it's not because of sin. No, he says they're not, we know they've sinned. He says they haven't sinned, but we know they've sinned. So we know he didn't say it that way because if they really hadn't sinned, he wouldn't have had to die. So it's either been misinterpreted or everybody just mis-explains it. The bottom line is God, Jesus is saying there, it's none of your business. It's none of your business. It's for the Father to get glory. And if we all take that attitude, whatever I'm walking through, whatever you're going through, it's for God to get the glory. It's not for us to get the glory by making God look unfaithful. Read, read what God says to Job when Job tries to look faithful and makes God look unfaithful. Okay, you gotta get out of your head and into the spirit to get this, okay? You've gotta get out of your head and into the spirit to get this. God is telling us not to be Job's friends, which means not to be like Job's friend. Do not try to figure it out and reason why somebody is walking through what they're walking through. It's not your business. Amen? But he never says to change who God is and what God's covenant with us is and how it works with God. He never tells us to change that. He just says, mind your own business, which is what Jesus said to his disciples, right? and recognize that God's desire, new covenant, no question about it, new covenant, God desires to get the glory in every situation. Now the glory is not about us getting the glory, okay? God's not getting the glory if I'm making people think that he causes sickness. God's not getting the glory if I'm making people think they can't understand God, but look how good I'm being. 
Amen. God gets the glory when we say what God's word says, no matter what's happening. He gets greater glory when we move into such a place and relationship with him that his word comes to pass in the situation. Amen? And, and the key is a heart that desires to glorify God, no matter what it looks like. Think of Jesus. He had all authority and power. There was no sin in him. Satan had no legal right at all to attack him. None. He makes that very clear in scripture. And he cries out to the Father, can we do this a different way? I don't want to be separated from you. I don't want to go through this kind of pain. I don't want to go through this kind of suffering. I don't want to go through what this is going to entail. I don't want all those demons that we created as angels who fell, who hate us. I don't want them having their way with me. I don't want them touching my body. I don't want them attacking me. I don't want to go to hell for people. I don't want to go there. Is there another way? And the Father says, there's no other way. There's no other way. And Jesus finally comes to the place to say, your will, not mine. I'm going to go there. Man, if we can understand this awesome Savior. He basically says, Father, I'm going to trust you and everything you say, and I'm going to lay down my life as a sinner, as the sin offering for every sin that's ever been committed, and I'm going to be separated from you. Can you imagine being God and being separated from God at the same time? How horrific that is. Could you also understand why he had to be a man as well as God? And why he had to have his own spirit and his own soul so that he could be separated from God? And, and, and go through that not knowing what that would even be like and having to trust that God would raise him from the dead. No wonder he says in scripture that anyone who knows of him and continues to practice sin, there's nothing left to save them. God is basically saying, if this isn't good enough for you, it doesn't get any better. Tuesday night, we're going to do a really powerful teaching on superiority and breaking free from that spirit that tries to judge God and justify stuff that keeps us bound and separated from even the presence of God. That has caused more people to open up to religious spirits and garbage in the church because they don't have the real deal with God. And God is ready for a holy people to walk into a real relationship with him and have that which looks like it looked in the Bible. I don't have to compromise and take something less because I can have the real. Amen? And so can everybody. But you have to hate what he hates. He's so clear on how all this works. So here we have the three friends, and, I, and I'm not going to go on time tonight. We don't have time to go over all their accusations and the thing that they said. It is on the teaching, and so we're, we're making that available um, for everybody to get. But no, the bottom line of the three friends is what they said wasn't the problem. It was they began to judge. Um, they began to judge Job. They began to, um, Job himself says, you're not comforting me. This isn't helping. So, so let me say this. If what you're speaking isn't comforting somebody, 
check and see if you're speaking it in the wrong spirit. I've had to learn this. I've had to learn to come alongside people where they are ready to walk. Before I had the Job friend thing, I knew that I knew. I thought it was my job to defend the gospel and what God was real. And I would come in and say, you know, and, and I do it with sincerity and love in the sense of I really wanted them healed and I knew they could be healed, but I did not have the gentleness to know they don't want to deal with what they have to deal with to be healed. So how can I come alongside them and minister to them in a real way right where they're at? So for example, I was telling this, this young girl uh, just recently while I was doing this teaching, I found out that the baby she's carrying is extremely deformed and they call it Edwards syndrome. And the doctors of course want to do an immediate abortion which she wouldn't allow. And the baby on the last extra MRI had part of its brain missing, stomach missing, and other body parts missing. And she was devastated. Sweetest little girl, her and her husband are just cute little Christians. They sing in the worship team, and you know they got this cute little family thing going. And and um, and she comes from some difficult things in her past. Um, her natural father was never in the picture. She had a stepdad who wasn't good. Then she had a stepdad who was good, but by then she had walls and all this kind of stuff. And and then you know. Um, her husband went through some, some of those same kind of things. But, but good kids love God. Um, you know, I, I just love them like my own kids. I, I've known these guys. Him I knew since he was born. And so I'm praying about it. I heard about it. And um, I'm like, Lord, you have to show me how to minister. Because, you know, for two months... They knew what the doctors were saying, but they just thought, you know, you'd, you'd read their Facebook post and all, and we're just believing God and this and that. I'm thinking, are you doing any more than just believing God? What are you doing to believe God? Do you know that if you believe God, nothing can happen to you? So if something's happened to you, don't just say, I'm believing God. Because the truth is, you're not believing God or you wouldn't be where you are. Amen? So at least go to God and say, help my unbelief. Buzz through pretended faith and delusion that says, I'm believing. No, you're not. The minute you believe, the enemy has to bow his knee. Amen? Amen? Let, let's get free from trying to be where we're not and, and not being judgment. Who cares? I am where I am. You are where you are. And Jesus is Lord. Praise God. And he's merciful, right? And sometimes it takes some things to get to a place of realizing, oh my gosh, I don't think I'm where I thought I was. Help. Very good cry, help. Okay, I've watched too many people not even go through surgery that could have given them more time to fight and then die. I've, seen, I've really seen families destroyed by something that was treatable by the medical community that the people refused to go through and then died a horrible, painful death. I've got good friends who went through that. Okay. If you're not healed... You're not healed, no matter how many times you say you are. It's called pretended faith, okay? If you're healed, guess what? They won't be able to find the disease. Whoa. You don't have to prove anything by going off of medicine. Because what happens is, well, I'll give you an example. Um, Lisa. Lisa asked God to heal her eyes. There's a couple of them in their Bible study. They all decided to trust God to heal their eyes because they were getting the old age eyesight thing. 
And, and I'd asked God to heal mine from that, and it worked, so they were like, hey, we're just gonna, let's do this. So all of a sudden she was getting dizzy and, and, and getting headaches and all this stuff, so she went to, she went to the, the, the eye doctor, or the doctor. And the doctor said, well, you have perfect vision, why are you wearing glasses? Her glasses were making her sick because God healed her vision. Okay, so she didn't have to take off her glasses and stumble around and pretend she could see. Amen? It's not like this game, okay? It's not like this intellectual game that if I think it enough, it's gotta happen. Your thinking enough does do nothing. Amen? If I could have thought it enough, my son would have been healed way before he got healed. And, and to get free from pretended faith is a big breakthrough to beginning to hear God and follow God and walk with God and walk this thing out until the enemy bows its knee every time. And it can take a long time sometimes. What else do you have to do? It's called add to your faith persevering. Persevering looks like something. It looks like I'm doing something more today than I was doing yesterday. It looks like I'm getting greater revelation today than I had yesterday. It looks like I'm closer to God today than I was yesterday. I can tell talking to people if they're persevering or if they've given up. Don't, don't grow weary in good doing and you'll reap. What does that mean? That means if I grow weary, if you were the devil, wouldn't you try to make that person weary? Right? The devil wants to steal God's glory. That's all he cares about, he wants to steal God's glory. So if I wear this person out, well how do I stop from being weary? Delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. The joy of the Lord is your strength. You don't stop being weary by, you know, you, the only way to get rid of weariness is hang out with Jesus. And don't talk to him about your sickness while you're hanging out with him. He already knows you're sick. Hey, <laughs> he's already paid for it. He's already undone the works of the enemy. We're in a new covenant, right? Job didn't have any of this, folks. Job didn't have any of that. That's the greatest part about Job. We aren't living there. Job re reveals one of the first times in scripture that there is a spirit realm and there's a devil. He even cries out, Job even cries out that he needs an advocate. He even talks about having to go before the judge. It, it is a powerful scripture. If you get the teaching on the courts of heaven by, what's the, some, what's the guy's name? Henderson, Henderson. Listen to his teaching, and you can see some of it on the web. And then don't get into head bondage. This is what gets me with people. It's like, they find one thing, and that's all they do. That's all they do. Get the revelation and move on with it. Amen. Okay, don't, now the rest of your walk, you're just gonna go to the courts of heaven, you're not even gonna hang out with Jesus intimately anymore, no more worship, forget what you learned last year and whatever God was revealing, amen? And now we're just gonna do this. No, 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 no. I, my foundation is in Christ Jesus, amen? Everything I believe is based on Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and their revelation of Jesus Christ. He is the foundation. Everything he says is the foundation of everything I believe. I don't add anything, even if it's in the book of Job, to what I believe as a, as a new covenant believer in Jesus Christ. He is the cornerstone. He is the plummet of everything I believe. So unless I hear him say what Job says, I'm not believing Job. Unless I hear him say any revelation in the scripture 
I'm believing what Jesus says above everything else, amen? And I build on that. If he says he's the healer, then he's the healer. If he said he came to undo the works of the enemy, then he came and he undid the works of the enemy. If he says that uh, I need to remain in him and I'll be protected, then I'm gonna remain in him to be protected. Amen? If you really wanna know how to walk in that place of divine protection and favor and prosperity, go see what Jesus says about it. We got so much teaching on it. I mean, we got hours. There's tons on the web at beautyfrashes.org. Tons of teaching on it, free. Tons of it on everything, especially New Testament. I don't think there's a, anything we haven't taught and taught and taught and taught and taught. I have to know who he is above everything else. If I know what he says about disease, if I know what he says about sickness, if I know what he says about the devil, if I know what he says about finances, if I know what he says about divine protection, if I know what he says about authority, then my brain has got the right information to then embrace and delight myself in God and get the anointing and the spiritual realness of a relationship with God to bring to pass what my renewed mind has come to understand. A renewed mind without a strong spirit, spirit man, built up with a relationship in Christ Jesus has very little authority and power. Amen? So, all right, so, so let's go on. Let's get to the part I wanted to get to tonight. So you can look at all the back and forth teaching or, or back and forth with, with Job and his friends. There's Bill and Zoe and Eli. If you, okay, you'll start seeing Job in about Job 9. Really, really start to reveal what's really in Job's heart. Now, I will say this for Job. He never cursed God to his face. Praise God. And if you remember, that was what Satan was trying to get him to do. That's what Satan was trying to get him to do. How many know that that's what Satan wants to get every believer to do? And some of y'all get really close to it, which is really not wise. Amen? We, we saw in, in, I think, Job 3, and we got teaching on this. When you get to a place of wishing you were never born, and you get to a place where you curse the day you were born, and you almost curse your mother for having you, okay? Number one, you open up the door for miscarriage in your life and in the generations that come after you. You open the door for abortion. The Leviathan spirit, which means, I, I, I personally think Leviathan, I mean, it's a strong spirit. I, I try not to get too much into names and stuff. Basically, when you hear people use names about spirits, they're just trying to give you an understanding that scripture gives you about the nature of something that devil is doing. Amen? And so the Leviathan is talking about a real creature that's a crocodile who is almost impossible to kill. And, and it grabs on and it keeps on flinging its victim until it crushes him and kills him and devours him. 
And basically, God is using that in Job and other places in scripture to say, the enemy wants to crush you and destroy you and take life out of you, and he doesn't care how many times he hits you and hits you and hits you. He doesn't care how many times you think you're about to get out of his grip, and he still has you. And only God can stop Satan from destroying us. Amen? Only God. Your intellect can't do it. Other people can't do it for you. Only God. So Job reveals very close when he hits an all-time low and he's, and, he's, and he's giving into it and he can't see any way out and he's basically saying, as soon as I'd get past this, boom, I'd get hit. And as soon as I'd get past this, boom, I would get hit. And as soon, can I give you a little understanding based on Job about the enemy because there's not that many scriptures about the enemy you know, that show his character. But basically, there's a big lie that once you went through something bad, you'll never go through something bad again. Has anybody else learned that's not true? And has anybody ever seen that sometimes the enemy doesn't wait for what you think is a comfortable amount of time to regroup? Amen? Amen? Okay, that is a characteristic of Satan. It's a characteristic of Leviathan, all right? I know Terry went over this really well, and it's, it should be on the teaching that's coming out. Okay? Now, New Testament, New Covenant, what scriptures help you with that? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He who is in me is greater than he who is in the world. The Leviathan, if I wanted to call it something, I would say it's the strong man. It is the devil's strongest thing in you to try to create you in the image of the devil and to cause you to curse God. It is the thing in you that want, that the devil tries to get in you. Thank God everybody doesn't get this in them, but if you go through enough hardship or generational curses or you get into witchcraft or you get into drugs or you get into blatant, rebellious sin, homosexuality, any of these things, you will get the spirit in you and the spirit will then basically say, I'm not letting you go. Whoa, I'm not letting you go, I'm not letting you go. And this is the place where you've got to speak what God's word says with his sword, amen? You've got to trust God. You've got to repent for all the ways you let this thing in and all the ways you fed it and gave into it because its desire is the same exact desire you see in Job. It wants you, what, let's say it wants you to do, curse God. It wants you to basically, think about it. When you blame God for what the devil is doing, who are you calling God? Satan always wants you to think of him as God. So when you, you know, <laughs> when Satan is doing something to you, it, it, just, it, just, it just makes me like, Lord, help. You know, you read all these nice things on Facebook and you read about people going through sorrow and grief and so many more of them should be here getting free. Because we would rather twist who God is than to admit that there were areas in our life that weren't right that opens the door for the enemy. I haven't yet met a person whose life was so hidden in Christ that there was no way in for the enemy to attack. 
I'm not saying that because the enemy attacked, I don't think because the enemy attacked me in such a drastic way of trying to kill my, of, of killing my daughter and then attacking my son, that I'm worse than everybody else. It doesn't work like that. God doesn't see it like that. There are horrific people who've done horrific things who'll never have to bury a child. Bury a child. Do you know what I'm saying? There, and there are people who seem to have it all together, nice old lives, never hurt anybody, as far as we can tell, who've had to bury their children, right? So it's not about that. It's not like what the enemy decides to attack you with is saying that's because you're that bad. That's a Job's friend. That's a Job's friend. And what is, what is Job's friend really about? Protecting self. Well, if I don't do as bad as they did, or if I don't break that, then nothing bad can happen to me. It's a false sense of security, right? It's a false sense of, if I can take care of myself, this can't happen to me. Most of those <laughs> wrong doctrines come like that. God will never give you more than you can handle. Well, he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So that kind of discounts anything not being able to come at me. Right? We make up these goofy things as Job's friends <laughs> to try to protect ourselves, instead of just hanging out with God. So when you look at Job 9, you really start to see Job has about had it. He says, truly I know it is so, but how can man be just with God? If he would argue with him, he cannot answer him one of a thousand. Is he wise in heart and mighty in strength? Who has been hard against him and been at peace? Let me, I'm gonna go to the um, amplified because it's easier to understand the literal. He says, yes, I know it's true, but how can a mortal man be right before God? If one should want to contend or dispute with God, he could not answer him once in a thousand times. God is wise in heart and mighty in strength, who has ever defied or challenged him and remained unharmed. It is God who removes the mountains and they do not know it when he overturns them in his anger, who shakes the earth out of its place and its pillars tremble, who commands the sun and it does not shine, who seals up the stars from view, who alone stretches out the heavens and tramples down the waves of the sea, who made the, the, um, the stars, the vast starry spaces of the south, who does great things beyond understanding, yes, marvelous and wondrous things without number. Now this is kind of cool because you kind of see the struggle. One thing that's awesome when you really get into Job and you're reading it from an understanding of, of, our, of our human nature, amen? You see the struggle that I believe that most believers go through um, to break through to that place of, of understanding God more. So in other words, you have Job one thing saying, it's not fair that, how can I, how can I stand and, and give my case against God? But he's so awesome, he's so powerful, he's so big, look what he's done. You know, it's like this back and forth kind of thing. Like, it's almost like, well, the same God who you're saying did all these things is a just God. The same God who did all these things is a faithful God. The same God that you're back and forth about now. So you're looking in the trial. So what happens in a trial? In a trial, the enemy wants to get you to question the goodness of God. He wants you to question the faithfulness of God. And he wants you to do that by thinking you're doing everything right. So it must be God who's messed up. But if God's messed up, who can debate with a messed up God? That's what Job is getting to in this, you guys. That's what half the doctrine I hear taught about tragedy tries to get us to. Well, we'll understand him one day. Let me tell you something really simple, God, show me. I know I've said this is in my book or somewhere, but 
Okay, when Lauren died, um, I knew that I knew that the enemy did it. And, and it, there's a p picture she loved of a demon leaving the tree. There's a letter she wrote, just all the supernatural stuff. You can get my book, Joy Comes in the Morning, to hear all that. I, there's no way I have time to do that tonight. But and in the biggest trial or the, the temptation that came at first was what do you believe now? What do you believe now? Now that you didn't have the faith, now that you didn't walk in the authority to stop your daughter from dying, now what do you believe? And I'm thankful that I believe the same thing I believed based on his word before it happened to me. I believe that God's faithful even when I'm not. I believe that Satan comes to kill, steal, and destroy. I believe that Satan set me up. I believe when I asked God to show me how, God did show me how, and that's on my teaching um, online called um, The Spiritual Side of Tragedy. It should have a million hits. Nobody wants to hear that. You'd much rather hear how you did everything right and you prayed and your whole church prayed and everybody got around and prayed and everybody did this and you did spiritual warfare and now God just wanted to take them home. Well, why were you fighting God? And who are you calling God? Who are you calling God? Which opened you up to Leviathan. Why not just say, Satan comes to kill, steal, and destroy? And he did. But I'm going to hang out with God and I'm going to let the comforter comfort me and I'm going to ask God to teach me his ways. I'm not going to twist and change what happened to me and make it a new, try to make God into an image that somehow, what? What does that do? I, I don't even understand why you would want to twist who God is and then think you're ever, ever gonna have faith again. I'm so thankful that after um, Lauren went to be with the Lord and I didn't change the way that I thought and I kept believing God in his word and I asked him to teach me his ways. I had no idea within nine months I'd be back in a major trial fighting for my son's life that took about 15 years. But had I not believed the truth after my daughter died, I know that I know I would have buried my son. And it's not fun to fight 15 years and be in and out of hospitals and this and that, but in that process, pretended faith died. In that process, I, I got to know God more. In that process, he opened the doors for ministry. In that process, we still had a great life. Our whole life wasn't focused on what the enemy was trying to do. Our life was focused on how awesome God is and how he was healing us and praying for each other and caring for each other and, and, and seeing what God wanted to do and going deeper in his word and going after him with everything in our hearts and not stopping until Satan had to bow his knee and then watching, even if it took years, for every single thing that the devil had said, what's going to happen didn't happen. And it's awesome to be able to go, this is the wildest thing. My son, oh, my son with what the doctor said he had and all the mess he went through, he was, if he lived, and it goes on, he kept getting better and better and better. See, that's faith. Faith makes you get better and better, not worse and worse. Yeah, people, well, you know, I'm fighting this cancer, but, you know, when I'm finally in hospice and all, I'm just believe God's going to walk in the room and raise me up. Can I tell you something? Fight hard so you don't get to the hospice bed. Because if you don't have the faith not to be in the hospice bed, you're going to have a hard time having the faith to rise up out of the hospice bed. I'm not saying that God can't send somebody in. I'm not trying to, to say, I'm saying, fight. 
Roll up your sleeves and fight with every bit of strength that you have. Hang on to God. Do what he shows you and realize that you should be getting better and better, not worse and worse. Amen? I mean, it's like, well, God's going to get more glory when I raise up from the dead. I'm thinking, oh, God, we're going to have to do your funeral. It's like, what, when did you think you've done all to stand? When you do all to stand, you start watching knee of the enemy bow. That's when you've done all to stand. And even then, it's like once in a while, Lord, you need to do this or let's do this. But anyway, I was going to say, so when I saw my son after all these years, here he is in L.A. living in the mountains, and they told me he could never, ever live in high elevations. He's mountain climbing for real, which is, oh, I mean, he's learning how to do it on those ice things, and he's going straight up these big, tall mountains. And I'm thinking, and the disease they tried to give him was called the Alps. And... And I'm thinking, God, you are so prophetic, it's amazing. Here my son is overcoming, literally prophetically showing that he is making a mountain climber out of his church. What happens if you climb a mountain, it's under your feet. So I was like, wow, Lord. So I actually have great faith that my son will survive his mountain climbing training and classes and going to these places. All right, so, so do you understand in Job here, he's getting, you can just see as you keep going through Job, Job 10.1, I am disgusted with my life, I hate it. I will give free expression to my complaint. I will speak in the bitterness of my soul. Job 10.1, wait a minute, the bitterness of his soul. Bitterness, new covenant, understanding, is a root of evil. Bitterness is a root. There's only two roots of evil, so don't get into some class where they teach you 5,000 roots and call everything a root. Be biblical. The root of evil is the love of money and bitterness. Bitterness is simple. It's blaming God for what the devil's done. Period. Bitterness is blaming God for what the devil's done. So read Job, you can see it. He starts blaming God for what the enemy's done. See, God shows us in Job. He shows us, he didn't show Job, right? He shows us this is what's happening. Look what Satan is doing to Job. Look what blaming God for what Satan is doing does to you. It causes bitterness. Bitterness defiles many. Bitterness changes the way you see God. Bitterness changes the way you see other people. Bitterness makes us become poor me's. What, what does a poor me do? A poor me, poor me. And basically, poor me, I don't understand God. Poor me, I've done everything right. Poor me, I've gotten prayer. Poor me, I tithe. Poor me, I go to church all the time. Poor me, why is God doing this to me? This is going to be the most popular teaching. I wonder how many, right? Satan wants to cause you to be bitter against God and make you a poor me because a poor me cannot overcome him. He wants to just keep knocking you down. And I believe it. The enemy is strategic, right? I'm not pretending he's not uh, like the Leviathan. I'm not pretending that he's not powerful at hitting you and hitting you and coming in this way and coming in that way and coming in this way. And in the new covenant, 
We have to be hidden in Christ. In the new covenant, we have to seek first the kingdom of God and his right standing and his righteousness. In the new covenant, we have to delight ourselves in the Lord and give us the desire of our hearts. In the new covenant, we mature in our relationship with God, which I want to do, but I'm not going to have time. Uh, if you read John 15, 16, 17, you can actually see this awesome relationship that develops to such a place that Jesus says, hey, ask anything, believe it without doubt, and it'll be done for you. And he says, at one point he goes, hey, you can ask the Father yourself in my name because he loves you. Anything, anything. So where does your authority come in the new covenant? In the new covenant, my authority comes in my relationship with God when I get into such a friendship with God, whoa, and such a relationship with the Father that I know that that Father, that awesome heavenly Father loves me just as much as he loves his son. When I know that the same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives inside of me and I can ask my Father in heaven anything and it'll be done unto me and I know it. When I get to that place, then Satan has lost all his authority to do anything in my life. And the reality is we're not there yet. See, I don't, it's what he's requiring. What is he requiring? He knows what's going to be there. Here's the cool thing about God. You could be facing something so bad and not even have a clue. I would just soon not ever know. I'm cool to wait for the videos in heaven. I see enough of the stuff that I get to see that I know. So if there's other stuff going on that I don't know about, I'm cool with not knowing about it till heaven. Amen? I'm kind of just like, just... I'll just do what you show me. I'll just do what you show me. I'll just do what you show me. What does he say? Jesus only did what he saw his father doing. So bitterness, go back to this, bitterness comes when we attribute to God what Satan is doing every time. So think of all the doctrine out there that actually feeds a root of bitterness. The Bible says not many should be teachers. They're going to have a higher judgment. That'll be an interesting day to watch that. Probably take a couple million years, but... Because I can say this, I've taught wrong in the past, but I repent and tell everybody and change it. I mean, when I first started, I said there was no hell because God was too nice. Okay, that one was wrong. I got fired from being a youth pastor, so I get it. (laughs) (laughs) And here's the thing, I wasn't evil and horrible and, and not saved. I just was stupid. And I shouldn't have been a teacher, amen? And then um, I got fired pretty fast. I, I really made that lady so mad who hired me. <laughs> she was furious. Kids liked me. But, um, but uh, anyway. But see, that's everybody's where they're at. Amen? You're just where you're at, and that's where we got to quit being the judges of everybody else and just say, okay, this is cool. God knows how to handle it. God, show me, teach me. Open, open my ears to hear. Let me understand what you want. Now, if you love this teaching, then you better say you love this teaching then we want you to check out our web at beautyforashes.org. There is so much teaching there, and there's a resource uh, library there. And also, check out my Facebook page at Cindy Foster Beauty for Ashes Ministry. We'd love you to partner with us and come along for the ride into the apostolic. God bless you. 